Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to those that it applies. Uh, today we are uh, going to start by talking about moms a little bit, and uh, it lines up with our text today. Um, but moms obviously hold a special place in all of our lives, and my mom was able to talk to you for a few minutes this morning. She lives in Colorado. My mom raised my sister and I. Uh, for the most part, my parents divorced when I was pretty young. My sister's six years older than I am, so uh, she was around uh, my mom and my dad together for a little bit longer. But uh, my dad was was kind of present until I was 13. Uh, let's just say my mom did most of the heavy lifting, and uh, at that point in time, we moved to Colorado. Um, and within a year, we, uh, my father actually had a burst brain aneurysm and uh, was paralyzed, and so couldn't move his right side and couldn't really talk a whole lot until he passed away when I was about 19. And so my mom really did all of the raising of me in a, in a single family home. It, uh, like I would get home from school and then uh, my sister an hour later or so and my mom an hour, hour and a half after that after she got off work as a physical therapist trying to make enough money, put food on the table and hold things together. And so my stories kind of take place in that kind of a context, and uh, just a couple I want to share with you. Um, like, I, well, maybe I've always been a bit of a, of a control freak, like I like to know what's happening. Like, I don't like surprises. Who loves and thrives off of surprises? A couple of you. That's not me. Like, I just want to know what's going on, okay? And so we lived in Cincinnati. It's the city of seven hills and uh, like sister city of Rome. So you'd come off of one hill, drive through the valleys, and have to go up another hill. We lived on Price Hill when I was growing up. And so you'd turn to the right when you get to the hill, and you could go up one of two or three steep roads up to where we lived. And my mom sometimes would turn the wrong way. And I'm like, you turn the wrong way. Like, what are you doing? Don't you know we've done this a thousand times? And uh, she was taking us to this little ice cream place that was over here, but it just messed me all up. Like, you went the wrong way. So my mom then, understanding who I am and how I'm wired, she'd let me in on it. And she'd be like, hey, today we're going to be making a wrong turn. And I'm like, all right, I gotcha. <laughs> right? Like, now I'm on the inside track, because my sister loves surprises, and so to be able to, I knew we're taking a wrong turn, we know what this means, my sister's surprised, it works out for everybody, because she took time to understand me and who I was. Now, like I said, my sister's about six years older than me, and being home for an hour, just the two of us, often we would get into it, usually it was her fault. <laughs> You're going to run with me on this? And one day, I had just had enough, and so I, I came at her with a pencil, because really, how much uh, damage can a pencil do, right? And, and I'm not here, but it was kind of like, it wasn't like, hey, it was like, wee, wee, one of those actions, but I'm only this tall. And so I come at her, and she's got this jug, and she moves it in front, this jug of milk, and I stab that thing. <laughs> and it's in there, and I'm like, oh. Maybe a pencil can do a little bit of damage. And it's starting to occur to me, and so I pull the pencil out, and now milk starts going out, and now I really understand that we're, I'm about to die, okay? Because 
we were poor when I was growing up. We didn't have much money, and a brand new gallon of spilt milk was going to be something to cry over, all right? And so I start grabbing glasses, and Judy, or Judy, that's my wife, not my sister, Lee and I come together in this team, and I'm grabbing a glass and filling it up, and as it fills, I'm getting another, and, uh, and do you know how many glasses a gallon of milk can fill? It's like 132. Um, <laughs> And they're just all over the counter, and we get this solved, and, and, uh, and we clean up the milk on the floor, and we're like, all right, now what? Because mom's going to be home anytime. Like, we'll just put it in the refrigerator, okay? So we stack all these glasses of milk in the refrigerator. My mom comes home, and she would come home from a long day of work, and then go into the kitchen and start cooking, and so, you know, the sounds of cooking, pots coming out, and, and clanking, and that kind of thing, and then we hear the sound of the refrigerator opening, that suction sound, you know, that opens, and then silence. <laughs> and I was like, this is what death sounds like. <laughs> I knew it was coming, and and maybe 10, 15 seconds, and then I hear clanging and sounds of cooking happening and no yelling for Leah and Aaron, nothing like that. We come to dinner and three glasses of milk on the table. We just went along with our evening. You know, maybe she figured that usually when I get home, my children are fighting, and today they seem to really be getting along. So whatever this milk fiasco was has brought them together, and she understood us. And I share these stories because it talks about my mom and, and what she had to go through as a single parent to raise us and, and how she took care with us individually to understand us, but also uh, my sister and I together. And I'm sure that we all have stories. In fact... We're going to have a chance to share some of those stories, whether it's your mom or your grandma or an aunt or a neighbor, some motherly figure that is in your life. And we don't take time to do this often on Sunday mornings, but we're family. We should have time to share stories. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take just four minutes, four minutes today for you to get up, maybe go and meet somebody that you don't know. That's what I would prefer. And share a story. Celebrate your mom because God gave us moms. Or again, maybe it's an aunt or, or a grandmother or some other motherly figure in your life. And if you're not comfortable with a stranger, I get that. That's me. That's how I'm wired. It's all right. You can just uh, meet up with somebody that maybe you came with uh, or catch me. I'd love to hear your story. But let's go ahead. We're going to have a, a, a timer go just to keep you uh, kind of mindful of it. Take two minutes or so to share your story and then flip to the other person and let them share with you a story as well. It's okay. It's all right. I know you're not used to this on Sunday morning. Go ahead and stand up. Get with somebody. Share some mom stories because, because God gave us moms. Well, I started out in a spare bedroom, two turntables, uh, and a microphone. I was flipping over 33s, working on rhymes and melodies, searching for some more of you and a little less of me. It's never been my dream to see my face in magazines. It's always been about the music, helping God with you. Set some people free But I can't say without a doubt
shows Sometimes just a few of y'all Other times in droves But you've been right there to rock with us We come together, we lift him up Seeing you there inspires me Puts a fire in me It's never been my dream To read my name in magazines It's always been about the music This is just one of those real-time announcements that this is why we do community groups here at Florence Christian Church, because as much as I love getting together with you on Sundays, we don't always have opportunity for this, one-anothering and getting to hear each other's stories, and that's why community groups are such an important part of our DNA and who we are, and so I just want to encourage you to be a part of, of one of those if you're not already, and, uh, and, and just these stories uh, of who we are and where we come from and remembering our moms that God has blessed us with them. And so we're in this text about children and parents. Um, and Mike looked at our relationships between husbands and wives last week. And all of this second half of Ephesians is about how we live in light of who we are. That first half was about our identity and that it's not about what we do for a living or those things. It's who we are in Christ. And then out of that, we have certain expectations. And, and we look at a couple of specific roles. Again, husbands and wives, parents and children. 
children, uh, employees and bosses. That's kind of what we're looking at today. But it's all in context of chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, where it says this, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, that all of these relationships and roles that we're in are in the setting of us being submitted to one another, that we're putting others' needs ahead of our own. And even if we're in a position of authority in certain places in our lives, we are still in authority and yet submitted to those who are under our authority. I think of a story. It's called The Baby that I want to read to you real quick. It says, A man sat by the door of his house smoking his pipe, and his neighbor, who was an enemy, though neither of them knew it, sat beside him and tempted him. You are poor and out of work, said the neighbor, and there is a way of bettering yourself. It will be an easy job and will bring you money, and it is no more dishonest than many things done every day by respectable people. You will be a fool to throw away such a chance as this. Come with me, and we will settle the matter. And the man listened. Just then his young wife came to the door of the cottage, and she was warm and rosy, for she had been washing, and she had the baby in her arms. Will you hold the baby for a few minutes, John, she asked. He is fretful, and I must hang out the clothes. So the man took the baby and held it on his knees, and as he held it, the child looked up at his face and spoke and said, flesh of your flesh. Soul of your soul, what you sow I shall reap, and where you lead I will follow. Lead the way, Father, for my feet come after yours. Then the man said to his neighbor, Go away and come here no more. And he rocked the baby on his knees and whistled a tune. Presently his wife came out and took the child. Baby, baby, she said. How could you cry when father was holding you? Such a father as you have to mind you to grow up as good a man as he is. And she went into the house singing to the child as she went. You see, we are in relationship with each other, and we are able to learn just as much from our children as they learn from us, and we're reminded in who we are. And so it's, in again, this context of mutual submission that we jump into the, to today's text in chapter 6, where it says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Starts off with this thought. Children, obey your parents. It's the right thing to do. And in large part, this is talking about younger children just to be in obedience to the parents that, uh, that you have been given. And even as we get older and we're coming into our own and saying, obey your parents as long as it's in line with God's word and God's will to be obedient to them. And then he goes on even further. But honor them. Honor your parents. Now, this is something that definitely goes as we get older and that really we're never let free of, that we should be respectful of them, even though they may not deserve it. You notice there's no qualifications here where it says, honor your parents if they are deserving of it. It simply says to honor them, and it is the first one with a promise. He's referring to, Paul is referring back to the Ten Commandments, that this was the fifth commandment, and it was the first of those to come with a promise alongside of it. We see that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. 
Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You see, the people of Israel were moving from just being a people into being a nation, and so they needed more rules around them to help them to have a society that would function, and so he's laying out these commands, and the fifth one is that, honor your father and mother, so that when you get into your own land that I promised you, you can live long and it may go well with you. It is a promise that he uh, extends to them. Now, many say that, uh, that there are a set of four commandments that are about honoring God and our love for God, which is the greatest command, and then six that are about loving others. So we have loving God in the first four, loving others in the next six, and it kind of would make sense on the tablets, you know, because the first four are a little bit longer uh, in words, and so you look at it that way. And yet in Jewish tradition, it holds that there was two tablets, one with five and the other with five. And if the same holds true that the second five are the ways that we love one another, the first five are the ways that we love God, then to honor our father and mother as the fifth commandment falls on the first tablet, and that it's actually our duty to God. The way that we love God directly is the way that we honor our father and our mothers. And then he goes on in chapter 6, verse 4 says this, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I notice here that once it starts talking to the people in authority, father, parents, you know, but especially fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't push them too far. Don't be too heavy-handed on them. And he's speaking into this culture where the fathers had authority to do as they pleased. In fact, in Roman culture... They have the authority as uh, judge, jury, and yes, even executioner of their children within their own home. But he's saying that your, your rights uh, within, within this Roman system are not the same as your responsibilities in Christ. And so he said, I want you to show restraint. Don't come down too heavy on them because fathers especially, you can. And yet he doesn't move away from discipline and instruction. He says, raise them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. You notice that it doesn't say here, parents, discipline your children and take them to the synagogue so that they can be instructed, so that they can learn God's will for their lives and what the word of God says. This is talking about us as parents being primary spiritual leaders in our home. We can't outsource this to the church. Okay, it's impossible. I did uh, youth ministry for more than 20 years, 25 years almost. Ten of those were working with children, elementary, preschool. And I tell you, it cannot be done. We can't be the major spiritual role models in your children's life in the two, three, four hours of a month that we have them. I don't think that we can outsource education to even our school systems who have our kids for maybe six hours a day. We need to be there reading with them and helping them and walking alongside them. And so how much more as the spiritual role models do we need to be involved in their lives? Let me ask you a question. Would you feed your preschooler once a week? I hope not. I've got to make a call if so. But, but would you expect then for the only time your child to be in the word of God is from Sunday to Sunday? There's just no way. You guys have to be doing this and taking that role as an important role. And I know that some of you may not feel qualified. 
You know, I don't know enough to take my kids through this. And to that, I just want to say this. You're not alone, okay? All of our elders, we'd love to sit with you and walk with you and help you see how you can do that. I want to encourage you out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is actually the chapter after the Ten Commandments are given in, De- in the book of Deuteronomy. And then the next verses, he explains how to live this out. I love it in the message where it says, Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you and love him with all that you've got. Write these commandments that I've given to you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you and get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and your foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. He's saying you need to make it a part of your everyday life and make it a part of what you're doing day in and day out and when you're in the car and when you're watching TV and, and make it real teachable lessons in the moments that you are experiencing together. And I guess I would say this, that if, if you wouldn't feed your child once a week, then I hope you're not simply feeding yourselves once a week either. Because a large part of when we don't feel qualified is when we're not spending time in the Word. And i got to tell you, when you feel a responsibility to teach others, your own children, and, and that never goes away. It doesn't say teach your children until they turn 18 and move out of the house. It's a continual thing. As you feel that responsibility, then you're going to become the best learner. Let me tell you, the responsibility of standing up here for a few minutes on a Sunday morning weigh heavy on me and on Mike and our other elders who present to you. And so we want to dig into this thing uh, during the week, not just for what we want to say, but for ourselves so that we can be learning things, so that we feel the weight of that responsibility to present to you. So as you feel that same positive weight for your kids, then you're going to become a great learner and you're going to be absorbing this stuff so much more and better than you had when you didn't feel that responsibility. That's why we do the life journals. That's why out in the lobby there's a list of pages and chapters to read each day so that you can get through the whole Bible in a year. Not that I'm saying that you have to do that. You don't have to conquer this thing every 365 days. It's God's love letter to you. But as you're spending time in it, you're going to get that more and more. And if you're only feeding yourself once a week, then that probably won't cut it. In Hebrews, the author talks about this a little bit more. He says this, I have a lot more to say to you about this, but it's hard to get it across to you since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves. Yet here I find you needing someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again, starting from square one. Baby's milk. When you should have been on solid food long ago, milk is for beginners, inexperienced in God's ways, and solid food is for the mature who have the same practice in telling right from wrong. So parents, I want to encourage you to be in God's word. And if you're not quite sure how to do that, catch one of us. In fact, look around. There's others that would be willing to sit with you and share with you. And we have so many tools in the year 2018 that make the Bible accessible to us and understandable, not to mention the Holy Spirit revealing to us as we spend time in it on our own. So I want to encourage you. I don't want to come down on you hard. I want to say that you are not in this alone. We've got your back. 
And I tell you, our elders, as we got away and you prayed for us, we talked about this. We're going to be doing a better job of supporting you and coming alongside you as primary spiritual leaders in your homes and drawing our families together so that you can play out that role as it's outlined here. He goes on in verse 5 and says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is a slave or free, masters do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality in him. In Roman occupation, it's estimated that there were some 60 million slaves at that time. And slaves didn't look exactly like what I maybe default to in thinking about manual laborers, but slaves were teachers and administrators and even doctors. And this word slave also came across as maid or, or bond servant. And, and some were paying off a debt or in a relationship with an employer where they lived in their household and they were taken care of. And so some of it looks a lot more like employees and bosses. Now, don't get me wrong. There was just straight slavery taking place too. But it was very much a part of this culture, and so Paul is addressing this, and he's saying that, that while you live in this culture of inequality, and there's slaves and masters, I want you to be reminded that God doesn't see things that way. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, he's saying God sees you all as equal, but you still live in this world of where there is inequality. And within that inequality, I want you to look at it this way. Employees work hard for your bosses. And not just when they're looking, not just when they come around the corner, you hear they're going to be in your store today, and so all of a sudden you're looking busy, says all the time, as though you're working for the Lord. Like God is your boss, as though he is the one that is coming in, because again, we have equality. And, and so he is your boss, and I want you to think about that. Now, do you notice then what that does? It says that much like a, a, a child obeying their parents is our duty to God, this is also saying that employee who is working for the Lord is doing that directly in worship of God, not just for others. Then he goes on. He says, uh, do this with the right heart, a heart of service to others. And not just the right actions, because sometimes, you know, we can do the right things in the wrong ways. We can act correctly, but not have the correct heart about us, and he's drawing us back. He's saying, I don't want you to think about what's due you. I want you to think about your responsibilities, and your responsibilities to work with a servant's heart as we're mutually submitted. Then he moves on to bosses. You do the same. Yeah, everything I just said to the employees, bosses, you do that too, but this, execute your role as a boss as though uh, nobody is watching. And so actually as though people are watching all the time. Don't just be a good boss when, when there's employees around that are watching it or when there's customers around who are judging your business by the way that you treat them. Treat them well always. Work hard as though you are working for the Lord. 
And then again, he says, much like he said to the father, I know you have authority, but take it easy on him. You know, don't just come in threatening him all the time. He says, take it easy and don't exercise all of the authority that's given to you, but think of yourself the way that God thinks of you. And he reminds them, by the way, both you bosses and you employees, you all have the same master. So while, again, there may be inequality in our culture, God is saying, you're still submitted to me, and you are one in Christ together, so think of yourselves that way. In the last couple weeks, I see this pattern, a pattern of unity, that we are all the same in Christ, a pattern of submission, that we are thinking about others' needs above our own and submitting to them. And then the third is of responsibility. That often, even as Americans, we think about what is due us, what we have earned, and he's saying, I want you to not think so much about what you're due, but about what your responsibilities are to others. You see, he likes to flip things. God does this all the time. He flips things upside down. And he says this, in fact, all of you who are in authority, husbands and employers and parents, he says, you with more authority actually have more responsibility. You have more responsibility in the thing, and then those who uh, look like they're not in authority, you have lesser, as it talks about the employees and children and, and wives. He says, with authority comes a greater responsibility. And maybe not all of us are in the workplace. Maybe not all of us have children in the home. And I think about where we are, bosses. You know, where is the spot that people serve us all the time? I want to take you, uh, when I was in college, I worked at Red Lobster, and I want to take you to a Sunday at Red Lobster. Okay, it wasn't often that I worked Sunday afternoons, but every now and then I would get in an in a early afternoon shift, and when I was there, there would be grumbling. 12, 15 would roll around, and the suits and the pretty dresses would roll in, and all the wait staff would be like, ah, oh, here they come again. Because they would come in and these nicely so dressed and they were rude and they were demanding and they were terrible tippers. And I tell you, I spent those days defending other Christians to my coworkers. But guess what? They didn't give me a whole lot to work with. Because they were right. They were terrible tippers. They were rude. And so I want to say to you in this role that we're all in, uh, let's not look at what is due us. You know, because that gets dangerous. I know how people tip. And, and I guess uh, because both my wife and I were waiters, waiter waitresses, we've always tipped pretty well. And I started at 15, 20% automatically. And, and, and then I had gauged what extra I gave on top uh, to the service. And, and Trudy's like, let's give him an extra two bucks. And I'm like, two bucks? That's like 25% tip. And she was like, it's two dollars. Get over it. If we can be a blessing to somebody for two bucks, wouldn't we want to do that? And it's a lesson that I've learned in the last couple weeks. How can we be a blessing to others? And, and I know the argument. Well, they didn't earn it. Do we want to talk about what we've earned? Church? Well, they don't deserve it. Do we want to talk about what we deserve? Church? You see, in the Old Testament, the Israelites messed it all up. It says the Israelites were blessed that they may be a blessing to the rest of the world. And today, that's us. We have been blessed that we can be a blessing to the rest of the world. And so go out and tip well today. 
Okay, if you're going out to eat, do one of two things. Tip ridiculously well, or go home and change and put on your scrubbies, because I don't want them to know that you were here this morning. No, stop laughing, because I'm not joking. Okay, why don't we be known in this community as people who are a blessing to everybody else? Let's get over ourselves. What's an extra two bucks? Some of you can tip them 50%, 75%. Do it. Okay, well, I don't have enough. I can't afford it. Well, stay at home or, or order an appetizer. Okay, because it isn't about what you deserve. It's about how you can be a blessing to others. And I want this church, I want every Christian in this community to be known for that so that it's Sunday at 12.07, because it's a smaller town, we can roll down into Bay Street quicker. They're like, oh yeah, cha-ching, here comes the Christians. Right? Why can't we be that to this community? And why can't we be a blessing to others? You see, I often think that our responsibilities as Christians far outweigh our rights as Americans, and yet we flip it upside down all the time about what we deserve. But we have the ability to be a blessing to this place. So as we focus our living as unto the Lord, let's be concerned more about our responsibility to others than what they owe us. If you're a child, be a good kid. Obey your parents, and that counts if you're 5, if you're 15, or if you're 42, like me. Maybe older, even. If you're a parent, step up as primary spiritual role model in your ch kids' lives, and your children's lives. If you're scared of it, good. It's a weighty responsibility. If you don't quite know how to do it, come and catch me or one of our other elders, or, or look around for just a second. Okay, if you see somebody with gray hair or no hair, that means they had children. Okay? So they know what they're talking about. They know what they're doing. And I bet if you came and asked, they probably haven't offered themselves up to you. I bet they would come alongside you and help. And if you don't have kids in, in the house, older congregation, you're not off the hook because we're still part of this family. You still have a role as parents to help us who still do have kids in the house. If you're an employee, work hard all the time. And if you're an employer, if you're a boss, you know, be gracious. In fact, be ridiculously gracious to those that work for you, that you can be a blessing to them, and maybe they will thank the one who has blessed you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for coming into our lives.